0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. You know, one thing I wish um, I had known or realized earlier in my motherhood. I was a pretty young mom. I was uh, 22 when we had our first. And um, I didn't really realize the power that I had in my home. I did not realize how really it was up to me, the mama, to set the tone of our home. We have a responsibility of mother, as mothers to shepherd the atmosphere of our family. You know the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? <laughs> How many know that's true? Um, I just want to encourage you moms that um, to, to, to not take that lightly, but to steward that well and to set an atmosphere um, of joy and peace in our homes. And um, so, yeah. That's just, that's just my encouraging words to you today. I had a beautiful opportunity um, a few weeks ago to record several shows with Better Together. How many of you ladies are tuning in ever to Better Together on TBN? Um, such an amazing, amazing show. Um, and I'm so honored from time to time to get to be a part of it. But we recorded some shows on Motherhood um, a while back. And I was so honored to be a part of that. But we got to really share some beautiful things, um, myself along with four other women, um, on motherhood. And and one of the things I really felt to share on one of those shows is the fact that, um, well, this is, we all know this. There are no perfect mothers. (laughs) We all... um, Miss the mark at times. None of us do it perfectly, and you know I, I have had many conversations with my kids when they were young, and even now that they're older, going, man, I'm sorry for the things that I missed. I'm sorry uh, for the for the spaces um, that you know I, I didn't get it all right. But here's the powerful thing. And this is why it's so important that we point our kids to Jesus, because Jesus never misses a thing. Jesus can come in and fill all of those empty places, all of the broken places. Um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe your relationship with your mom was was not a good one, and Jesus is our healer, and He is so faithful. When we come to Him and we bring that to Him, He is faithful. To, to heal us when we just open our hearts and allow him to come in and and heal all those broken places so are you grateful for that today um, I also before I dive in I want to celebrate something today and um, I don't get too political but I feel like this is something we need to celebrate we had a victory in the state of Texas um, this past Friday and I um, the bill SB 14. I don't know if you've heard about that, but the bill SB 14 to ban um, our to ban puberty blockers and gender mutilating surgeries for minors in the state of Texas was passed. So we give glory to God. We give glory to God. That was something that we were praying for here in this house, that it would pass. And I'm so grateful for those who have prayed and those who have acted, those who are called to this sphere of politics um, to, to um, bring the kingdom of God to every space and place. And um, so we celebrate that today. The enemy has an agenda. Oh my goodness, he is going after our kids. And sometimes the things that we hear that are going on in our culture, it's it is absolutely mind-boggling like how is this even this is insanity and um and I also want to say to any young person that's here in the room that God made you on purpose with purpose he made you perfectly just the way you are to be just the way he designed you and you have a calling and a purpose on your life. We don't live our life by our feelings. We live our life based on the truth of the word of God. And so you are loved here. And, um, and so we just affirm, this is what we affirm in this house, who Jesus has created you to be, and he makes no mistakes. All right. I am so excited today. I get the honor of kicking off this new series that we are diving into here at Dwell Church called, do we have the graphic? Red Letters. Red Letters, Red Letters. We are diving into um, the words of Jesus. We're going to be studying the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, over a period of, I don't know, probably a couple of months. and so I'm so honored to get to uh, just kind of kick that off today. I'm going to teach on um, the Beatitudes today. This is going to be a two a two part. We're gonna we're gonna start it today. We're gonna go through the first four Beatitudes, and next week we're gonna continue. Um, but the famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached to his disciples. Um, is all through Matthew, uh, through chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew, and it is powerful. I would encourage you this week, because obviously I'm not going to read all of that today. I'm just focusing on the Beatitudes, but I would encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount this week. It is so powerful, and, you know, of course, as I'm reading the Scripture and studying this past week, I'm remembering... Um, The many times we've been blessed to be able to go to the nation of Israel and go to the Mount of Beatitudes, which is absolutely beautiful. And when you're there, you can just imagine Jesus teaching there, teaching his disciples and the multitude that gathered uh, to hear um, Jesus' teaching. So we are actually taking, we're going in in the month of November with TBN and um, we would just Hey, if, if you're in a position where you're like, I can do this, and I, this is a dream of mine to go to Israel, um, we would love for you to join us, and um, you, can, you can ask us more about that later, but it's going to be a powerful time. So the Beatitudes are set against the backdrop of the coming of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We're going to start in Math 4, starting at verse 17. And it says "The from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's drop down to verse 23. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of heaven is here. And so this brings us to chapter 5 in Matthew. This is where we're going to really dive in today. There are eight beatitudes. We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve. There are eight beatitudes. Some some say there are nine, but most scholars agree there are eight. The ninth is really just an expansion of the eighth in the scripture. Um, So let's just let's dive in here and let's read Matthew chapter five, starting at verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. For righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I just want to stop a second and I just want us to imagine Jesus sitting there teaching his disciples and just imagine these words coming out of his mouth. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I just want to stop and pray before we dive in here. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. It's a light to our path. God, I thank you, Jesus, for illumination and revelation today as we dive in. God, I thank you for the reality that when we get up here to share and speak, we don't have to conjure up anything that seems revelatory or that we've never, maybe never heard before. Because your word is all the revelation that we need. And so we don't take away, we don't add to it, but we honor it and we say we love your word. We love your word. We love your word. Yes, yes, yes. And so illuminate our hearts today as we, as we study these Beatitudes. In Jesus' name. So, the Beatitudes are the distinguishing characteristics or marks of the true children of God. The Beatitudes are the distinguishing marks of a member of the family of God, a follower of Jesus. So I would say it's pretty important that we, that we look at them, that we study them, that we know them, that we understand them. Think about this. I, as I was studying this week, I heard this and I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. No matter where you live in the world, no matter what continent, no matter the tribe or tongue, no matter what century you lived in, these characteristics, these beatitudes mark a disciple of Jesus Christ. From every generation, every tribe and tongue, these eight things Jesus said, you will know they are, uh, they, they are a child of God. You know that they're they following me if you see these attributes. That's why it's like, you know, people say this is the word of God is out of date or it doesn't fit our culture or our generation. That is a lie from the pit of hell. This is the truth for every generation that has ever lived on the face of the earth. So when we are brought into the kingdom of God and lifted out of the small world where we have lived, when we are brought together with the Lord's people on that great day, can you imagine when we are together with the entire family of God and our hearts are knit together with our long lost brothers and sisters, we will see the true children of God and we will see these distinguishing marks. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna um, talk about the first four beatitudes today. The first one: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is using an expression here that was already familiar to them from the Old Testament when he's saying, "Blessed are the poor." If you will remember Isaiah's prophecy and Jesus quoted it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said, he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. In Psalm 34, verse 6, David says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So how do we know that there is some resemblance of family likeness among our brothers and sisters in Christ? There is a poverty of spirit that knows I need God. Blessed is the one who recognizes their own spiritual poverty. Blessed is the one who recognizes their need for a savior. You know, there are many of you have heard this. I know I've heard this from different ones You know, Christianity is a crutch. You just need that um, because you can't stand strong enough on your own. Christianity is a crutch. And to that, I would say, it is way more than just a crutch. (laughs) It is our very life. You're right. Yeah, we absolutely cannot live without Jesus Christ. Christianity is our life. It is, um, maybe as they would say, a crutch and so much He is not just my crutch. He is my absolute life. So we must realize our own sin and our spiritual emptiness and poverty. Jesus said in Mark chapter two, verse 17, he said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's always that. That's the first thing that the grace of God does when it comes to our life. It makes us see ourselves as we really are. We are in need of a Savior. We need God. So to be poor in spirit is to realize that I have nothing, I am nothing, and I can do nothing. Jesus said, "Apart from me, you can do." <laughs> This recognition of my need of a Savior is not just a one-time experience when I come to salvation, but it is a continual knowing that no matter how long I have been in the church, no no matter how long I've been walking with Jesus, no matter how mature I have become in my sanctification journey with the Lord, the only way I receive the kingdom of heaven is by my recognition of my poverty in spirit and the need I have for God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second beatitude we're going to look at today says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This beatitude is not referring to, to mourning the loss of someone who is dear to us, although we know that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and he does indeed comfort us in our pain and loss. But Jesus is actually referring here to the mourning and lament of our sin. When we mourn and repent from our sins, we know the word says he is faithful and just, to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are comforted with this forgiveness of our sins by the only one who can forgive sin. There is a lamenting of our sin that comes with repentance when we first come to Christ, when his light pierces our hearts and we say like Isaiah did when he saw the Lord. He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. We mourn, we we lament our sin, and we repent. But there is also a continual mourning of our sin when we know that we have grieved him. Uh, Have you ever been there? And it's really not because of his judgment, but because of our heart that desires to please him. When just like Peter, we have seen his eyes that say, I have prayed for you that your faith would fail not. And Peter said, Lord, I would never deny you. This is a disciple. This is the man that had the revelation of who Jesus was. And and Jesus said, upon that rock of revelation, I will build my church. But Peter denied Jesus three times. The Apostle Paul, I'm reminded of what he wrote when he said, the things I wanna do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. So there is a continual mourning and repentance that is a part of our life as a disciple that we want to please him. So we mourn our own sin, our fleshly desires, and the times that we miss the mark. But this we're gonna go this we're gonna go a little bit deeper because we also mourn the sin. That is all around us. Man, God help us. If we become so cold to the darkness all around us that when things happen, like the tragedy in our, very, our, our own city last weekend, that we're just cold to that. We are to be moved to lament and to mourning. Even the earth mourns as it sees that it is out of joint. And unrighteousness seems to overtake the purposes of our heavenly king. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole earth has been groaning Together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. All of creation has been groaning ever since the fall of mankind. Creation knows It's decaying. Do you know when Jesus returns, he's not just going to redeem us and and, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to redeem the earth. It's decaying because of sin. But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. (laughs) Because this is not the end. The kingdom of God is both here The kingdom of God is here, but it's also not yet. But there is a day coming when his kingdom will be fully consummated and Jesus will return. In Revelation chapter 21, John wrote Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So when we see the death and destruction that sometimes just seems to be all around us, may it ignite our hearts in prayer to say, Come Lord Jesus, Come, Lord Jesus. Come and set everything straight. Come and make all things new. And until then, we will take our place as sons and daughters of the king, saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we we see a progression in the beatitudes. Jesus is building the child of God. First, the child of God recognizes his own nothingness and need of God. Second, he mourns over his lost condition and his own sin against God. And then when he stands up from his weeping, when he stands up from his mourning, he inevitably stands up a different person. Why is this? Because there in the presence of God, he has become in a measure more like Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. According to scripture, meekness is a spirit of patient submission and humility before God, produced by the surrender of personal rights <laughs> and manifesting itself in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, meekness is humility and lowliness. But don't misunderstand. Don't get it twisted. Meekness is not meekness meekness is not weakness there are two men characterized by meekness in scripture the first is moses i would say he was not a weak man in numbers chapter 12 verse 3 scripture says that moses was the meekest man on the earth But he didn't become the meekest man on the earth from his schooling in the palace of Egypt. God took him to the backside of the desert for 40 years to shepherd his father-in-law's sheep in order to strip Moses of all his Egyptian wisdom and begin to mold him for a task that only God's wisdom could accomplish through him. God took Moses from a somebody to a nobody. Talk about counterculture. I don't know too many people who are signing up to go from a somebody to a nobody. Our culture is interested in becoming somebody. How can I gain more influence? How can I gain more followers? How, who do I have to step on to gain more success? The kingdom of God is absolutely upside down from the culture of this world. And the sooner we all realize that and recognize that, the more productive we will be for the kingdom. The way up is the way down. There in the desert, God made Moses into the meekest man on the earth. And we know he went back to deliver the children of Israel out of slavery. The second man characterized by meekness in scripture is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon points out that in all four gospel accounts given to us, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical text, there is only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. Not talking about the things that he he did for us, but... His own heart. Jesus describes his own heart in Matthew chapter 11. Do you have that scripture? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. We know it well, we've heard it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here it is. For I am gentle. And lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. The only personal characteristic Jesus ever drew attention to was his meekness. Jesus, the one who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think those are some pretty amazing examples to look to and model Our lives after. The promise for the meek is they shall inherit the earth. So what does that mean? What does this promise mean? Jesus was alluding to and applying Psalm 37, 11. Which says, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. You know that Jesus had uh the 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 old testament right he had the psalms the meek shall inherit the earth psalm thirty seven eleven, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace in the greek old testament the words of psalm thirty seven eleven are almost identical with matthew 5 5 it says the meek shall inherit the land and the word for land in greek and hebrew also means earth Dr. John Brown, in his commentary, states this. Inherit the earth literally means to inherit the land, which for the people of God in the Old Testament was Canaan, the land of promise, right? Yes. In the New Testament, those who are born again through Jesus are the spiritual people of God. We are spiritual Israel, and we will enjoy the blessings of the people of God in this New Testament Economy To inherit the earth is to be heirs of the world, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. It is to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The meek are those who have the greatest enjoyment of the good things of this present life. Delivered from a greedy and grasping spirit, they are content with the things they have. The proud and restless do not inherit the earth, though they may own many acres of it. (laughs) The humble Christian has far more enjoyment in a cottage than the wicked have in a palace. Of course, as all of these Beatitudes have double layer meaning, as we talk about the meek inheriting the earth, there is also no doubt that the meek will ultimately inherit the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The the new earth that we just spoke about a few moments ago when Jesus returns and makes all things new. I just want to challenge us today today. No matter our situation, no matter what we have, what we don't have, goals are great. Goals are good. I remember our former pastor, Pastor Mike Hayes, saying something one day, and it spoke to me. He said, at some point, you have to decide what is enough for you. (laughs) How big of a house do you need? How many, you know, the list goes on. And I know we are, all across this room, um, we are a blessed people. All of us living in this nation are blessed when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world. We are blessed. But I think we have to determine for ourselves um, how how much, you know, how much striving how much, how much contending for are we going to do? I mean, when, when is enough? When are we going to be satisfied? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God, I want to be that way. I want to be a, um, as content in a little cottage. Yes, yes, yes. The humble Christian has far more enjoyment in a cottage than the wicked have in a palace. A.W. Pink wrote this, "While humility of soul in bowing to God's way of salvation is the primary application of the third beatitude, it must not be limited to that. Meekness is also an intrinsic aspect of the fruit of the spirit that is wrought in and produced through the Christian. We see the fruits of the, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It is" That quality of spirit that is found in one who has been schooled to mildness by discipline and suffering and brought into sweet resignation to the will of God. When in exercise, it is that grace in the believer that causes him to bear patiently insults and injuries that makes him ready to be instructed and admonished by the least eminent of saints, that leads him to esteem others more highly than himself, and that teaches him to ascribe all that is good in himself to the sovereign grace of God. I want to be a person who is known for meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, now this is the... the, the fourth beatitude, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on this fourth one. We're not gonna touch on it, we're gonna dive into it. But this is our la- the last beatitude that we're looking at today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I just want to read it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here in the fourth beatitude, the eye of the soul is turned away from self and turned toward God for a very special reason. There is a longing after a righteousness that I urgently need, but I know that I do not possess. And God is faithful to satisfy and fill that need. Our Father will fill us when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Just as we mothers and fathers here in the room, we would never turn our children away when they come to us hungry or thirsty. So our Father won't turn us away. If you're a young parent, your baby is crying and it's feeding time. You're not going to deny them food. You know, when your kids come in from school or come in from playing outside and they're, they're hungry for a snack, they're thirsty. How about your college student or your young adult who is living on their own and living on their own meager budget? <laughs> And they come home for the weekend or for the holiday, and they're so glad to be in mom and dad's house. They're so glad to be eating at mom and dad's table. Jesus said, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So just as our children come to us when they're hungry and thirsty, Jesus is making us see how much need we have that we cannot fill ourselves. It's his voice speaking to our hearts to say, you are hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God that you do not have. So what is this righteousness? If I don't have it and I need it and I'm supposed to be desiring it, What is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God, being right with God. Righteousness is equivalent to salvation. There are many scriptures in the Old Testament that bear this out. In Isaiah chapter 45 verse 8 says, rain down you heavens from above and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I the Lord have created it. Isaiah says a few chapters down, he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. He says in Romans 5 verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's Obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Righteousness means being rightly related to God. And Jesus says he promises blessing to those who desire to be rightly related to God. This righteousness is not just something he demands from us, but it is something he provides for us. He knows we can't get this righteousness on our own, so he provided it for us. It is nothing in us, nothing that we have done, but everything in Christ and what he has done in his finished work on the cross that fills us with this righteousness that we are to hunger and thirst for. This righteousness, this satisfying of all the demands of God's holy law against us is now legally credited to the account of the believing sinner. Just as the sins of God's people were all transferred to Christ, so his righteousness is placed upon them. But our hunger and thirst for righteousness isn't solely satisfied at salvation. But like the previous Beatitudes, this fourth Beatitude describes a twofold experience. It obviously refers to the initial hungering and thirsting that occurs before a sinner turns to Christ by faith. But it also refers to the continual longing that is perpetuated in the heart of every believer until his dying day. The one who longed to be saved by Christ now yearns to be made like him. This hunger and thirst refers to a longing of the renewed heart after God, a yearning for a closer walk with him and a longing to be made into the image of his son. I love the song our daughter wrote, there's a hunger and a thirst. I'm desperate, immerse me. May we remain hungry no matter our age, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus. May the hunger and thirst never die in our hearts. But until until that day when Jesus returns or until the day we go to be with him, may our pursuit ever be to look more like Jesus, to be his image in the earth, The psalmist wrote, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Jesus said later on in the Sermon on the Mount seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. So I have a question for you today What are you seeking? What do you dream of as you lie in bed at night? What are your ambitions? What are the things you look forward to each day? Jesus says our great ambition is that the first thing in our minds and in our hearts is that we should look for his kingdom. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness all the days of my life. I want to devote myself to it. I want to devote myself to it. Anyone else? And I want to know with ever increasing clarity what it means to be hidden in the righteousness of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So Father, today, as we read your words, as we study your word, God, may it pierce our hearts. May we say that we want to be among those children of God. That when people look at our lives, they can say, Oh, I see the marks. Oh, she's, she's a follower of Christ. He's a follower of Christ. Can't you see us? Can't you see how humble they are? Can't you see their meekness? Can't you see how they desire after the things of God? So Lord, that is our prayer today. As we get ready to leave this house today and celebrate our moms, celebrate with our family and friends, God, we thank you that you are making us more like you. That is the desire of our heart to know you, to walk with you, to please you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.